folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are starting a new podcast series here at uh, the Bible Institute. This one's going to be called Christianity in Genesis. So we're fresh off of the book of Revelation. That's the end of the Bible. Where do you go next? How about back to the beginning? (laughs) Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest, day and night, beginning and end, alpha, omega, omega, and alpha, why not? Go back to the beginning. You know, in some ways, Revelation ends with Genesis again, doesn't it? New heaven, new earth. The entire Bible in that way is bookended with what? Creation, new creation, the God who creates, the God who recreates in Christ. And so why not uh, Why not jump into Genesis? It's also a Mondo book, isn't it? Fifty chapters, and it's, I mean, there's a lot you can do here. And so I thought, well, how about... Um, Christ in Genesis, the church in Genesis, the Christian life in Genesis. Um, some chapters highlight one or more of those facets more than others. And, uh, and so I thought, how about just Christianity in Genesis? The book of Genesis as Christian scripture. That's a big, big thing, right? Genesis is not just a book like any other book. That is to say, it's not just, you know, Babylon has some creation accounts or some creation myths and Genesis is one, two, or this is just some ancient Near Eastern literature next to a bunch of ancient other ancient Near Eastern literature. This is Christian scripture. This is scripture. It's inspired. Its authorship is unlike any other authorship for any other book out there. And it is Christian. Its content, its essence, its subject matter has everything to do with the person and work of Christ and those who live and believe in him. That's what it means to say Genesis is Christian scripture. Now, our series, again, Christianity in Genesis is a way of encompassing all of that to say, where in Genesis do we see the person and work of Christ? Where do we see the Christian life? Where do we see the Christian church? And so I'd like to to do that with you chapter by chapter. We'll see how this uh, pans out as far as, you know, how much of each chapter we can look at. I think mostly what will happen, uh, knowing myself, we're probably going to be doing some highlights here and there. So this first one on Genesis, when we're going to be covering some highlights, not a close look at every single verse. Some of these chapters in Genesis are very quite long, as you know, um, and so today I'm going to take a look at some some key verses from Genesis chapter 1. Just a friendly reminder, I have done a uh, a top 40 series, and there's a, there's a podcast on the first five verses and then also the image of God verses 26 to 28 uh, for a more in-depth look at those. Today I'm going to study especially those moments in Genesis 1 that speak, bear witness, testify to Christianity. Again, the person and work of Christ, the Christian life, the Christian church, and so on. And so uh, I'll, I'll jump in now. Let's read a few verses from the beginning. Familiar text, of course, and then we're going to go from there. So Genesis 1 reads as follows. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. I think when I did my uh, podcast on this text for the top 40, my big point there uh, is will be the big point here too, and that is God creates in a way that shows us how God saves. How God creates reflects how God saves. And that's big for, um, well, the church of all times and places, for believers in Christ of all times and, and places. This is something that starts right away in the very first word. Uh, in English, of course, this is, an, this is a translation of the Bible. English is a translation. This Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the first word in Hebrew is literally bereshit. Uh, it means in beginning. There's a preposition, uh, be, which is in, at, or with. And then resh, rosh, uh, head, chief, the first of something, the beginning of something. And uh, technically, there isn't even a definite article there. So literally, you grab the Hebrew Bible and you you grab the first word, it's going to say, in beginning. It's one word, in beginning. And what I love, love, love about this word is that when you think of beginning, what is beginning? Is it the start of something? Is it, um, you know, the first moment of time and then time kind of begins or whatever the case? You can do a lot with the word beginning. Uh, but beginning is also, Paul tells us in Colossians 1, a person. He is beginning. If you grab Colossians 1, you're going to see in verses 15 and following what's usually called a Christ hymn, this magnificent confession of the person and work of Christ. And the English translations don't always bring this out, but in the Greek you have this in verse 18. This is Maybe this is familiar. This is, he is the head of the body, the church. In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and so on. He holds all things together whether on earth or heaven. In verse 18, Paul writes, he is beginning. He is this beginning. In beginning, in God's Son, God created the heavens and the earth. In his Son, who is the Word made flesh, in beginning, the one who is the beginning, in beginning, God created in him he created, through him create, He God created, by him God created. So all that to say, the very first word of the Bible, literally the first word, the essence is Christ. Nothing is made apart from the one who is the beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth in Christ. Heavens and the earth also, I mean, that's kind of a, I probably talked about this in the other podcast, so I'll just, I'll make it quick here, and that is just the fact that God makes a heavens and an earth, right? The fact that there's a distinction. Why isn't there any, why just one thing, right? But he makes a heavens and an earth. Heavens is mentioned first, and uh, it's plural. There's only one earth, and yet heavens is mentioned first as if, you know, is this, is there a bigger story here? I have only one earth. I have heavens, and I have only one earth. And is the end of the story here um, going to be from heaven to earth or from earth to heaven? 
from the one who comes from the heavens to earth to bring those uh, on earth to the heavens. The earth was without form and void, darkness over the face. The spirit of God was hovering over the water. So you can already get a sense here. Wait a minute. In the one who is the beginning, God creates. And then now we have the mention of the spirit. So you have this witness in its own way to the Trinitarian reality of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love how little we're given here. Why is the spirit with the water? Well, just know that the spirit's with the water. Okay? The Christian life uh, in the Christian God is here on display. God makes everything in his Son. And before we even get details about whatever, um, the trees bearing fruit and according to their kind and all these things, the stars and everything, it is we have a distinction between heavens and earth and we have darkness and yet the Spirit of God is working with the water and there will be light. I mean, this is just an amazing kind of... This is baptism, of course. We're brought out of darkness into his marvelous light by means of water and the Spirit. We have this heavenly inheritance already right now on earth by means of the Spirit and water. He enters into the nothingness, the void and darkness of our lives. We cannot come to him. He comes to us by means of water and the Word and brings into our hearts... Uh, the light of the world, who is Christ himself. So again, another one of these Christianity in Genesis 1, the Christian faith is right here in the first couple uh, verses, and the one in whom, the one uh, whom that faith professes is here as well, his person, his work. God said, let there be light. Of course, Jesus is the light of the world, and there was light. God also speaks this. And, you know, I suppose God could snap his fingers, as it were, some other, you know, just kind of mental, uh, send some mind waves or something like that. But he does speak this into existence. And this is John 1. We're told that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things made through the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, that Word made flesh, says, I am the light of the world. So, I, again, just in the very first three verses of the Bible, this is not just like 6 o'clock news historical reportage. This is also an eternal witness to how God will save. The bigger story of salvation is front and center to him. Not this, I mean, oh, what, you know, does he, won't, doesn't he know what's going to happen and all these sorts of things? From eternity, like, think... Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From eternity, he wants to be with you. And he creates from the very first syllable of the Bible, from the very first syllable of what he says, he creates with you in mind how to save you. God saw that the light was good. I suppose he could have created it and just looked elsewhere, but he continues to look upon what he makes. He's not going to turn his back on it. He sees that it's good. He separates it from the darkness and he makes these distinctions. He calls the light day. So as a God who names, he calls the light day, just as he calls us by name and baptism. And he separates the light from darkness. Of all the details or all the questions that this raises, what you need to know in the first five verses is we have a God who creates in his beginning, who we'll find out is his son. And 
he brings light into darkness by means of his Son and Spirit. With the water, with the light of the world, God brings out of darkness the light of salvation. This is huge for the Christian. I mean, the, the church hasn't changed. The Christian faith hasn't changed. The person and work of Christ through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, continues to do this wonderful saving work. So that's just the first five verses. I'm going to say a few summary remarks about uh, days two through five. Then we'll take a break, and then we'll go to uh, the last little bit here of Genesis 1. So as the days unfold, I won't read all this text here, but as the days unfold, we have what? We have separations. We have distinctions. You look at day two, expanse in the in the waters, expanse, separate the water from the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and so on. We have this expanse called heaven. There's evening and morning. Day three, we have this dry land. It's earth. Uh, We have seas and waters and so on. Um, Let the earth sprout vegetation. We have vegetation plants yielding seed and so on. That's the third day. Then we have lights in the heavens Signs, seasons, that's the fourth day. The greater lights, the lesser lights. Evening, morning, that's the fourth day. And then we have water swarming with creatures, sea creatures, birds, livestock. This is all day five, Creeps on, things that creep on the ground and so on. And then we'll get to day six after our break. But a few summary remarks here. First things first, lots of distinctions. Uh, lots of order, arrangement, lots of uh, this is not that, okay? And so there is what he says is good. There is light. There is darkness. This is not that, and that is not this. So one thing, God is a God of order. He has a particular arrangement, and in the bigger picture of that, we also have a complementarity here. We have for example, a gendered humanity, we'll see, but we also have this, um, this what, fruitfulness and multiplication of the animals. We have the kinds. We have species. We have a goodness in things that are done according to their kind, the fruitful and multiplying. I suppose he could just snap his fingers and make more birds and, and animals, and yet they're going to reproduce as well. So as much as this is full of order and arrangement and distinction. At the same time, we have um, this complementarity that we need this bird and that bird for the sake of bringing about, procreating another bird. God is a God of life. God values order and arrangement, especially the kind of complementarity that works together Uh, With his blessing, of course, he speaks this blessing, to bring forth new life. And as this builds, as you get, you know, these days before day six, it's as if the entire created order is bearing witness to the gift of life, to the complementarity between male and female in marriage and the life that, that God will produce through that one flesh union. Everything in creation, I guess the big point, with these distinctions, with this order and arrangement, with the whole setup that is encouraging life, that is 
arranged for life that is bearing witness to life, this whole entire creation is bearing witness to an even greater complementarity between male and female, an even greater um, union, one flesh union. And that itself, as we'll see as, uh, as we move along, is its own kind of witness to the greatest union, the greatest marriage out there between Christ and his church. In that sense, the entire fabric of creation, as it is created, is bearing witness to salvation, how God chooses to save. We'll say more about that as we go along, but just a fascinating stuff here about Christianity in Genesis 1. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. there folks we are back with our study of genesis chapter one more specifically what i've been calling christianity in genesis one where is christ where is the christian life the christian church you know i didn't mention this in the introduction of the series i'll probably bring in luther quite a bit here and there um some of you know this luther has oh boy like the last 10 years of his life basically luther lectures on genesis and we have at least in translate in English translation, takes up eight volumes in the American edition of Luther's works. Marvelous stuff. Uh, I assign some of the highlights of that to uh, to my students when I teach Genesis here on campus. Just a marvelous uh, treatment in the history of interpretation. Um, so I might draw on that pretty heavily as we move along. But nonetheless, the big point for today, as we've as we've seen here, this Genesis 1, this Christianity in Genesis 1, God creating in a way that's broadcasting how he's going to be saving. And uh, even this evening and morning, I was looking at this at the break, even this evening and morning, you know, evening and morning, evening and morning, notice it's the darker time first, kind of different than what we're used to, right? Mornings first, it's the darker time first, God, there is evening, there is darkness, and yet there's, there's light. Uh, God brings light into the darkness. That's what you need to know. Well, what about all these other questions we have about, you know, big debates that what was God doing before creation? And Augustine has a famous answer like, don't, you know, don't worry about that. And, um, you know, God 
what you got to know is there's darkness and yet God brings light into it. There's evening and yet hang in there. Joy comes in the morning, the psalmist would say. And so there are things that are being emphasized here about God as he creates. That's not just like six o'clock news. Here's a video camera for how he did it. It's you got to know that God is a God of life, bringing light into darkness, bringing the the joy of the morning, as it were, after the evening, the distinctions that all bear witness to something much greater than themselves. Every every single bird, every single livestock, according to their kind, things creeping on the ground, all of it testifying to a greater spiritual reality between God and his people. You're going to see that come to even uh, greater clarity here with the creation of humanity. And why not, right, since it's the crown jewel of creation Verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's an amazing thing here, this image of God in the New Testament. Well, let me back up. Let's say this first. God still speaks, and yet this speech is what? Kind of self-reflective speech. I mean, before it was, let there be light, there's light. He could just say, let there be man in our image, but he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man. Again, if you kind of think through who's involved here, you already have a spirit and God creates in his beginning, in his word. Let us make man. We have this, again, this plurality to God, but also a singularity. God, singular, right, said, let us, plural, let us make man in our image. And we're going to have a singular plural thing with humanity as well, right? Humanity is in essence binary, male and female. That's a plural. That's more than one. So humanity also reflects it. It has a plurality to it, but also a singularity. There's one humanity, but also this male-female humanity, just as there's one God and yet also this plurality within God himself. So that's reflected in humanity in a special way. It's also special that God stops and have this kind of self-contemplation uh, here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So this is also something that's very generous on God's part, that he's going to have something that reflects him in a very unique way, this image and likeness. You're going to see something about God when you look at humanity that you can't see anywhere else. And this image of God, this is what I was going to say earlier, I mean, this image of God stuff is very rich, and of course this is, in the New Testament, who Christ is and what he brings. He himself is the very image and likeness of God. Uh, Dr. Seleska used to say that humanity was made in the image of God. Well, Christ is the image of God, so humanity is made in the image of Christ. Nothing happens in Genesis apart from Again, the word, the one through whom God creates all things, including humanity, including male and female and so on. So there's going to be some resemblance, some reflection of, of the person and work of Christ in the creation of humanity in the image of God, after the likeness of God. And that is 
marvelous because uh, just as, I mean, well, Paul does this in Ephesians too, doesn't he? Uh, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother, and he says, hey, this doesn't, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Um, And so just as there is this image and likeness and dominion and fruitfulness and life and so on as God creates humanity, so also is that bearing witness to an even greater, clearer image, likeness, dominion, fruitfulness, life in God's only begotten Son. In this way, the text of Genesis continues to bear witness to something about Christianity right now, the Christian church, the Christian life, this image. I mean, this is a very precious thing about the essence of what humanity is. You can't mess without, you can't mess with the image of what, what, the image of what it means to be human you can't mess with without severe consequences for how humanity also reflects who God is and more specifically who his son is. The image is a precious thing. This is tied up with his son. This is tied up with salvation. So to just attack it and say, for example, that, you know, just uh, think like materialism or something. Humanity is just we're a bunch of a collection of atoms and molecules and you know, all this is kind of an illusion or whatever the case, um, that's hugely detrimental to the gospel, to Christianity, to what it means to be a creature of God and to be saved by him, by his son, who restores this fallen image and so on that we'll, we'll talk about as we, as we move along. Um, so this is huge, this kind of, and the reign that we have with him. The fact that God gives dominion, I mean, it's something to think about. I mean, dominion over all this stuff, don't you have that yourself? And yet he, no, I want you to share with me in this. And that's also who Christ is and what he does. It's, you know, king of kings and lord of lords, and yet he's made a, a kingdom of priests for himself, as you'll read in Exodus and Revelation and so on. Um, he'll will be raised up and and share. I mean, Paul talks a lot about this in Corinthians about don't you ju- know that we'll judge even the angels? We'll be raised up and we'll be kind of we'll have a co reign with Christ. Um, the church prays for this when you think of ascension and so on. Um, that we see something of our own ascension and reign with Christ at the right hand of God with him. Think of the end of the book of Psalms as well. This is praise for all his godly ones, just to to sit and to reign with him over things um, visible and invisible, to pick up the language of the creed there. And so just even in this first chapter, this dominion and, and so on over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on earth, this is something of a of a witness of what we get in Christ at a much greater scale once that image that we lost is completely restored in him. Finally, God says, uh, this is how I'm giving you food. Every tree with its fruit, you'll have them for food. Um, And uh, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. It was so. God saw everything he made. Behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Of course, um, this emphasis on what will we eat is also, I don't know if you've thought about that. I mean, it just seems kind of, isn't it just an incidental sort of thing? By the way, you guys got to (laughs) eat to stay alive. Um, You know, why is that necessary? 
Well, you got to eat, otherwise you won't live. But, I mean, think a little more deeply. Theologically, why is that necessary? Of course, I suppose if you're God and you want to set up a world and create people on it, do you need them to have this kind of regular sustenance? Can't you just create them in a way that, you know, I, I, I have to eat once every one million years or, you know, this kind of, or not at all, right? It's just not part of the design. I'm, I'll be alive without eating. And yet God arranges such that you will need to consume food, nutrients, nourishment regularly. Things that I will have to provide for you, you can't just force this you know, plant to grow or whatever the case, right? Things that you're going to have to rely on me for bodily sustenance regularly. And this, of course, is in the design not just because it it's just, you know, some... I'm bored and I want to create some more elements or variables here, but also something that bears witness to our life in Christ. Of course, he is the bread of life. Of course, we partake of the fruit of the vine uh, with him, angels and archangels, all the company of heaven included, regularly to be strengthened in both body and soul to life everlasting. This is the bread of life that we continually, we don't li- man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of, of God and, and by especially that word made flesh who comes to us and in with and under the bread and wine that we receive in his supper. This is established already in creation, not just because this is something to do, but because this is going to be an eternal witness here in Genesis 1 to the kind of sustenance that I ultimately have in mind for you, and that is to partake of my word-made flesh, the one who is the bread of life, um, the one who will bring us to this eternal banquet between um, the marriage supper, between his bride and the lamb that has no end. Great stuff here in Genesis 1. Boy, I'm tempted to jump into that seventh day, but that's, you know, that's Genesis 2. I told you this is going to be Genesis 1, so it is what it is. We'll leave it at that, but great stuff here. You can do so much in the book of Genesis, but I think this is going to be a fun study, this where is Christianity in Genesis. Uh, Great stuff here, very rich already out of the gate in the first chapter. Stay tuned, my friends. Spread the word to others that they too can learn more about God's word With us, the mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.